Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. I'm excited to be back in Ephesians. We're in chapter 5, and we're going to be at verse 1. And uh, we have been in this series, little by little, finding your identity in Christ. And I love this little graphic that we have, because this series has been designed as a cartoon. We've been following this cartoon guy as he's gone through different stages through the book of Ephesians. And um, what's been really cool is that Ephesians really divides into two sections. The first half of Ephesians, chapters 1 through 3, is really a theology. It's about who God is, what he's done for us. And so we've been talking a lot about uh, what God has done for us, how he saved us, how to do some things, and, and what he's done for us. And then the second half uh, is the practical side, how to live all of that out, how to walk all of that out. And so uh, we've said it this way, that when we know whose we are, chapters one through three, then we'll know practically what to do, four, five, and six. And so um, we are now in the more practical side of it, and uh, I'm excited to be getting started. In fact, the title of today's message is Simon Says. How many of you are familiar with that game, Simon Says, right? I think we've all played it. It's probably been a while since some of you have played it, but I figure today, kind of loosen up a little bit, get with it. We're going to play a little Simon Says, all right? So Simon Says, touch your nose. Some of you are like cool kids. You're like, I'm not going to do this. I'm too cool. Listen, I was there too. I'm on the internet touching my nose right now, all right? You could do it. No one's going to see you. Simon says, stop touching your nose. Simon says, raise your right hand. Simon says, put down your hands. Clap your hands. Oh, Simon didn't say it. Simon isn't full of grace. Jesus is, so it's okay. Uh, <laughs> You have grace, all right? Hey, Simon says, pull out your wallet and give $20 on the way out right now. <laughs> None of you are doing it. Simon said it. Some of you aren't laughing. You're like, oh, this church, all they ever want is money. It's a joke, all right? We're not, we're not that kind of church. <laughs> but Simon is really a game about commands. That's what it is. And I even read an article this week that said, if you play it with your kids, there's even some health benefits to it. And I thought that was interesting because the same is true when it comes to God's commands in the Bible. There are spiritual health benefits for us when we obey the commands of God. But for many of us, when we think about the commands of God, it's usually followed by a negative connotation, right? Because we like to call the shots. We like to make up all the rules. We don't like it when someone tells us what to do. I know that there's been some kids, when an adult tells them what to do, they look at them and they go, you're not my parent. Don't tell me what to do. You know, a coworker, an employee tells you to do something, and they don't do it. You go, don't you know who I am? Like, I, I'm the boss around here. I make up all the rules. I'll look at my kid Dawson and my youngest son. He'll take his little stuffed duck by the leg, and he'll be swinging it around at the top of the steps. And I'll say, don't you throw that down there. And what does he do? He throws it down. And I say, what do you do that for? I told you not to do it. And he goes, I do what I want. I'm Dawson. Like that's his way of life. He doesn't like to be told what to do. Jen and I will tell the boys, eat your veggies, play nice, do your homework. And what do they do? Oh, I don't want to. They roll their eyes. They like to make the rules. Whether you're a kid or an adult, we all like to call the shots. We like independence. We like autonomy. But in the Bible, there's something called the Ten Commandments. And many people view the Ten Commandments as negative or outdated, old or unnecessary. 
They think that the commandments in the Bible, whether it's the Ten Commandments or the law, they're just there to be thieves of joy or something that you need to carry out if you want God to accept you. Many people see the commandments in the Bible with this equation, good behavior equals God's favor. We could say it this way. If I obey all the rules, if I get it all right, then and only then will God accept me. But if I mess up, then God's never going to accept me. But when we read about the law or the commandments in the Bible, it's easy for us to fall into this trap that they were given to help us earn a right standing before God. But nothing could be further from the truth. The truth is this, commands exist to help us see why we need Jesus so badly. Hebrews 10.1 tells us about some commandments. It says this, Hebrews 10.1, For since the law, which the law just describes the Old Testament commandments, for since the law has but a shadow of good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, Make perfect those who draw near. We read that verse and we get really confused because there's a whole lot of words in it and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But I want to give you three phrases that this whole verse hangs on and it's this phrase, for since the law can never make perfect. Those three phrases, everything else in this verse hangs on those phrases. Here's what it means. The law was never given as a way for us to earn a right standing before God. God never gave us the law or commandments and said, well, if you keep the law, then and only then will I accept you as my child. If you keep all the commandments, then you'll be in my good graces. The law can never make perfect. The law can never make us right with God. So then why do we even have the law in the first place? God gave us the law to reveal his righteousness and his holiness. And when we look at the law, we realize we fall short of the righteous standard of God every single time. You can think of it this way. The law is like a mirror. I don't know, maybe growing up, your parents looked at you and said, you should go look at yourself in the mirror. You know, maybe you were playing in the mud, you got a little dirty and it was funny and your parents wanted to go see, make you look at yourself. Or maybe you're a daughter and you were kind of imitating your mom by putting on makeup. And she's like, you got to go look at yourself in the mirror right now. I know as a parent, I've said that same thing. I'm like, guys, you just should go look at yourself in the mirror right now. Look at how gross you look right now. Go look at your face. It's disgusting. You were totally unaware of how you looked until you saw yourself in that mirror. You look into mirrors to see what you look like. But the mirror can't change you. All it does is show you that you're dirty and you're messed up. The point of the mirror is to simply reveal to us what our true condition is. And the law is just like that. God looks at us as a father and says, child, go look at yourself in the mirror right now. You should see just how truly sinful you are right now. You don't know how sinful you are? Go look in that mirror real quick. Get a look at that. See, because the law shows you time and time again where you've blown it. The law shows you where you've messed up. The law will show you that you're not perfect and you never will be perfect. The law shows us where we've made mistakes, but the law cannot clean you up. It only reveals your condition. And some of us, when we hear this, we go, man, the law can't cure us. It feels kind of hopeless. What can cure us? It's Jesus. Jesus is the cure for us. It's through the shed blood of Jesus that we can be cured. You see, the law was just given to point us for our need for a savior. That's why the law was given. That's one of the reasons. 
Because the reality is we're all sinners. It doesn't take a whole bunch of sins to make you a sinner. It only takes one sin to make you a sinner. Romans 3.23 says, for all. All means everybody. It means me, it means you, it means everybody. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all chose sin. You can't blame it on your circumstances or your conditions or your situation or this is why or because of that reason over here. You're not a victim of sin. We all chose sin. And because of our sin, we can't be in the presence of God like we were meant to because we were created to be in relationship with God. And so we have to deal with the sin in our lives. And the only way to deal with this sin issue in our lives is through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus came to do for us what we could not do on our own, which is make us right with God. So one of the reasons for the law is it just points us to Jesus. But here's the second thing. It also protects us. God gives us commands in the Bible in order to protect us and how we live our lives. See, every time God says don't, he's not saying, hey, I want to rob you of all the joy and pleasure of doing that one thing. It's not like God's some mean old tyrant up in heaven going, how can I ruin everybody's day today? What sounds like fun? It's not like God's going to say, hey, I'm going to tell you not to do this thing because I want to watch you suffer right now. That's not it at all. When God says don't do something. When God says don't do something, he's saying don't hurt yourself. See, God created life. He knows how life is to be lived. And so when God says don't do something, he's telling us don't do something because he wants us to be protected and he wants to help us enjoy the life that we can live. Now, when God says do something, he wants us to enjoy everything that life has to offer. He wants us to enjoy all the experience, live life to the fullest. I'll illustrate it for you this way. I grew up in the city. I don't know if you could tell from my accent. I'm not from around here, but uh, I've always been a city guy. And so I grew up in uh, neighborhoods where the speed limit was 20 miles per hour, 25. We had cul-de-sacs. Like I'm just used to being in a neighborhood with sidewalks and other things playing out in the streets. And so my kids, early growing up, they also were used to that lifestyle. And then about six years ago, we moved out to Cunningham, or what I call God's country, and we became country folk. I think I said it right but that's what we are. And so what's funny is that our driveway backs up to a road that goes 45 miles an hour. So that's a little different than what I'm used to. That's different than what my kids are used to. And so I would tell them, don't go and play out in the streets. Don't go there and you could get run over. Bad things could happen. So when we first moved in, I remember it was hot outside and I was like, okay, I got to go get a drink of water. And so I went inside, got some water, came back outside. What did I see? Those kids as close to the street as they could get. Sometimes them going in the street, to t- I'm just turning around on my bike, dad. You don't need the street to do that. Like you're not that tall. You don't need that kind of space. Like it's a bike, not a car. Like you don't need that. And so what I did was I drew a, a line in the driveway and I told them on this side of the line, you can do whatever you want to do. Enjoy life to the fullest. Play Frisbee. Ride your bikes, wrestle, play basketball, play soccer, do whatever you want to do. Take it all in. Enjoy the life, but you better not cross that other side of the line. Now, why did I say that? Because I wanted to rob them of all the joy and pleasure of playing in traffic? No. I said it because I wanted them to be protected. I love them too much, and I wanted them to stay safe. I gave them a boundary in life so that they could live their best life without experiencing all the danger and hardships that were on the other side of that line. 
God has done the same thing for us. God saw that we were playing in sin, that sin was going to kill us, that we were going to be eternally separated from God. And so what God did was he gave us commandments to show just how sinful we are, that we're never going to be able to be in relationship with him without our need for a savior, Jesus. And then not only did he give us that, but then he also gave us commands to give us boundaries as well. We can think of them as guardrails in our life. Solomon, who is being known as one of the wisest men who's ever lived, he's writing the book of Proverbs to his son. And he's uh, telling his son about listening to the commands of God. And in Proverbs 7, he says this, My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Now, when we hear that verse, Solomon talking about the commandments of God, we hear that verse and we think it says, keep God's commands and suffer. Keep God's commands and experience hardships. We don't hear the truth behind this. Keep God's commands and live. The word live comes from a Hebrew word that means breathing. So we could translate this verse to say, keep my commandments and enjoy life to the fullest. God didn't give us a bunch of commands to rob us. He gave us commands to bless us so that we could experience life as it was to be lived. Now you might be sitting here today and you might be going, okay, what does any of this have to do with Ephesians? We've been talking a lot about commandments and obeying them and being disobedient. What is, so you said we were in Ephesians. We have talked nothing about Ephesians. What does any of this have to do with Ephesians? Well, really, over the, if you look at Ephesians chapter 5, the next 20 verses are a series of 15 commands. And so that's why we're kind of setting the stage um, of, what, of what the next couple of weeks are going to look like. And the reason why I started with so many commands is because I want us to understand that as we go through this in the next three weeks, that these aren't things that you need to go home and pray about. These aren't things that Paul's suggesting for us to consider. We don't need to take these home and go, Lord, is this what you have for my life? Should I obey these? No, you should do these. These are commands. These aren't suggestions. They are things you are supposed to do. And in this chapter, what God is saying is when he says, don't do something, he's saying, don't hurt yourself. He's saying, follow these commands. Listen to what I'm telling you. Because if you don't follow what I'm saying, it's going to bring destruction. It's going to bring damage. It's going to bring harm. It's going to bring pain. You're going to have consequences. It's not because God's trying to send his wrath on us. It's just the natural effects of sin. But there's going to be times here where God says, do something. And when God says do something, he wants us to enjoy life the way it was supposed to be enjoyed. And so today, we're going to look at one command today. And don't think this is going to be a 14-week series. I'm going to look at each one individually, but we're going to look at this first one. And this first one is so important for us to understand, because this first command is really tethered to the other 14 commands. And so what's the command that it says? It says in verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 5, Therefore, be imitators of God, as beloved children. Short verse, short command, be imitators of God. Again, it's not a suggestion. It's not an aspiration. It's a command. So here's our first thought today. And that is like father, like son. Like father, like son. You've probably heard that phrase before. I think anybody who's a parent here today knows that at one point or that your kids kind of want to grow up and be like you. 
If we were all kids at one point, at some point you wanted to be like your parents. I know growing up for me, I wanted to be just like dad. You know, I wanted to have the same job, have the same clothes, drive the same car, have the same uh, interests and hobbies. And now being a dad, I see my boys and I see they try to imitate me in a lot of ways. They want to wear the same clothes, have the same haircut. Uh, They want to like the same team, the New York Yankees, God's team. Okay, there's some of you out there. Last service, I got booed real harsh, so I'm praying hard for them, not as hard for you guys. So they've been to the promised land, heaven, the World Series, more times than any team. So that's why they're God's team. So the New York Yankees, they want to be Yankee fans. They want to enjoy, they want to have the same hobby. They want to play guitar just like dad. I remember Dawson, he's my, uh, he's my youngest kid, and he uh, is more open to trying food. And so I remember I was having a steak, and I was like, Dawson, you got to try this thing, man. This is going to be so great. And he tried, he was like, mm, I like this, this is good. And I was like, yeah, now we both like steak. This is so great. Maybe we'll get the other boys on board with this. Realizing what I was saying at the time, didn't realize how much it was gonna cost me if they actually did like it. But at the time, it sounded like a good idea. And so after I said that, all on his own, he looked at me, he stuck out his hand and he said, steak buddies? Actually, he said, steak buddies? That's what he said to me. Because he wanted to shake on it. He wants to be just like me. And, and it's funny because it, it goes through every little thing. We might have a burger, and he goes, burger buddies? And we shake hands on that. When we're trying to be healthy, salad buddies, you know, because we do try to be healthy sometimes. Just two days ago, we're watching Baby Boss 2, and he looks at me, and he goes, show buddies? I don't like Baby Boss 2. But I was like, sure, we're show buddies. We'll be show buddies. That's fine. Truck buddies, guitar buddies. You know, one time, uh, uh, Dawson... I saw Jen throw up a couple months ago, and there's no easy way to say it, so I just, it's out there, but she watched, he watched her throw up a couple months ago, and uh, he looked at her, and he, uh, remembering the time he threw up, he looked at her, and he was like, hey, barf buddies? Like, that's, (laughs) but he's my little buddy. We do everything together. We're buddies in a lot of things, and what Paul is commanding us here is be like your dad. Be a buddy. The word be could be translated as an imperative describing a continuous way of life. Paul is giving us a command that applies to how we live our lives all the time. See, this isn't a command just dealing with parts of our life. Like when we come to church, then we're imitators of God. How are you doing today? Blessed brother. How can I be praying for you today? Brother, ah, brother. You know, that's all we ever say. Not just to imitate God when we're at church. We're not just to imitate God in just parts of our day. You know, when we're at Chick-fil-A and we're getting that meal and we're like, oh, have a blessed day too. You know, our voice kind of softens a little bit. It it gets a little more cheery and a little happy. But then on Wilma Rudolph, the explicits are flying. You're not imitating God at all. This command that Paul is giving us is to be lived out in our lives 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Here's what this means. There's never a second in your life that is to be lived apart from this command to be an imitator of God. We can hear this and we go, this is crazy. In every circumstance, even the bad situations, In every relationship, even my social media relationships, yes, every aspect of your life should be followed with this command to be an imitator of God. The word imitate comes from a Greek word where we get our word mimic from. It's the idea of following a model. Now, when I was studying this over the last week, 
my mind just kind of went to, there's just some things that God can do that I just cannot do. <laughs> Go to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created. I can't speak and something just come into existence. That's only something God can do. That's a little above my pay grade. God's the one who does the saving. I can only point to the one who does the saving. God's the one who does the saving. God's the one who sustains and holds the universe together. I can't do that. So what's Paul talking about when he says we're to imitate God in verse 1? I'll give it to you in a statement. What it means to imitate God. It means to allow the truth of who God is and how he relates to us to dominate every aspect of my life. Who God is and how he relates to me should be the way I live in relationship to other people all the time. Think about it. It's just God's love, his holiness, his faithfulness, his purity, his wisdom, his trustworthiness, his kindness. The qualities that Jesus has shown towards us are things that are, we are supposed to then show toward other people. That should be the aim of our lives every moment of every single day. But here's the mistake we make. We can start out on this journey called Christianity, and we think, okay, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to live this thing out. And so we pick somebody. Maybe it's the person that led us to Christ. Maybe it's our small group leader. Maybe it's a pastor that you've put on a pedestal, and you're like, I'm going to be as good of a Christian as they are. And they become our model. They become our standard. And we begin to try to follow them as an example of what it is to be a Christian. Now listen, that is a good thing. I'll often say, hey, follow the awakened group leaders as they're following Jesus. Follow the pastors, follow the leaders as we're trying to follow Jesus. Paul even said it. Hey, follow me as I'm trying to follow Jesus. It's a good thing. The problem is, is when we start to compare ourselves to one another. And we start to go, well, you know, they're not doing this, so I'm more holy, I'm more spiritual. I do these things. And we put ourselves above other people. Sometimes it's the fact that uh, we see that there's some sin and we go, well, I'm not doing those things. I'm not as bad as that person. I'm a lot better. I'm a lot more spiritual. And Paul shatters all of that. And he says, it's not the best Christian you know, it's God himself. He's the standard. Now, we can hear this and we go, how am I supposed to live this command 24-7, 365, being an imitator of God? I can't do that. But listen, that was never the plan. It was never God's design for you to live this thing out in your own strength. Psalm 103 says, The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows we are weak. He remembers we are only dust. God knows what he's dealing with. We are like dust. Think about it. If I had a pile of dust up here today and I said, hey, this pile of dust is going to give us the message today. Our expectation level of the message is going to go down a whole lot. Why? Because we don't have a lot of confidence in a pile of dust. God knows that we're made from dust. It was never his design to save us through Jesus and go, all right, have some fun. Live this thing out in your own strength. Tell me how it goes later. We'll see how you do. It's impossible for us to live this command out in our own strength. It's only possible through his strength in me. 
It's only possible through the power of the Holy Spirit working in you, working through you so that you can be an imitator of God. It's only by the Holy Spirit that you can live like him, act like him, talk like him, walk like him. Remember, Paul is writing this letter to a group of believers who've come out of this pagan lifestyle. And Ephesus was a terrible place to live at this time. And it was a hard place to live. And he's, he's writing to this group of believers who've allowed some things to come back into their lives, some compromises coming in and seeping into the way that they're living their lives. And Paul's saying, hey, you can't go back acting like you used to. You can't go living like the world. He's been saying over and over and over again that there's certain things that once marked your life, certain ways that you once lived, but you got to put those things off and you got to put on this new identity. There are certain things that you used to identify with, but that should not be anymore. In Christ, we have a new nature. Because of who we are in him and because of the Holy Spirit in us, we need to live differently than how we used to live. And the only way that we could be imitators of God is through the Holy Spirit. So we know what to imitate, but how do we imitate it? And that's point number two, know who your father is. Ephesians 5.1 again says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Now I want you to notice, it doesn't say be imitators of God to become his children, or imitators of God as faithful servants, or imitators of God as obedient church members. He says, be imitators of God as beloved children. See, most religions will teach you, if you imitate God, you will become his child. But the gospel says, imitate God because you are his child. Here's the point. After giving the command to imitate God, his focus is not necessarily on all the rules that you need to follow, but in a relationship that needs to be enjoyed. How do we know this? Well, we need to go back to the therefore, in that first word in chapter five. And we need to find out, what is it there for? Well, it's really tying back to everything he's been talking about in chapter four. The last thing he said in chapter four was, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as Christ has forgiven you. He's telling us that there's some things that you just need to take off and you need to put on this new nature of Christ. And really it ties back to everything he's been talking about in chapters one through three, that God has adopted us, has chosen us, has forgiven us, has redeemed us, that while we were in sin, Jesus came to die for us. He's given us the truth of the gospel. And what I love about Ephesians 5, 1 is it's really tied to Ephesians 1, 5. Ephesians 1, 5 says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So it's not that we imitate him to become his child. We imitate him because we have become his child. So when we imitate God, it's not, hey, I'm going to try hard, try hard, try hard, try hard. That's not the way. The word beloved in the Greek language is described as this, dearly loved and cherished. It also means preferred above all others, treated with partiality. I love this one, highly valued and chosen. We don't have to imitate God in order to earn a position in the family. I'm an imitator of God because I already have a position in the family. See, if you're a follower of Jesus today, you are extremely loved by God. 
So loved by God, you are never more loved than you are right now by God. Why is this? Because he loved you so much that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. You are loved and accepted by the Father, and there is nothing you can do to earn a right standing before him. And Paul says that you are a love child, so be an imitator of God. See, when you find a child who knows that he or she is loved by the father, they naturally take on the characteristics of their dad. Paul doesn't say, okay, good luck following a bunch of rules and commandments here. He says, hey, you're already God's kids, so do what good kids do. Be like your father. See, one thing any parent can tell you is that their kids naturally learn to imitate them in all the good ways and the bad ways. One thing you're going to learn as as you get older is that you don't have to try very hard to become like your parents in all the good ways and the bad ways. It happens fairly naturally. Children become like their parents. And so what Paul is getting at here is that you have a father in heaven who is perfect and is worth imitating. So imitate your heavenly father. I want to show you a picture of my dad. And this is a picture of us when we were out in uh, uh, Destin, Florida last month. And it was great. Our family drove down there. And then my dad flew from Albuquerque to meet us there. And we spent some time on the beach. And my dad and I have been through a lot. We've gone through a lot. And I love my dad. And we've done a lot of things and a lot of fun things. And there's been a lot of um, uh, different situations in our life that has uh, really grown us closer to one another. But it's always been like that. Now, it's not to say that my dad was always perfect 100% of the time. I think if he were here today, he would tell you that he has his flaws too. I think all of us as dads would admit that we have flaws. We know what our flaws are. We know that we're flawed people. But here's one thing I always knew about my relationship with my dad. I was a loved son. See, I didn't have to earn that position in the family. I was born into that because I was born into that relationship. My father demonstrated love toward me. And there are times when I hear myself leading or I hear myself parenting, and in those times of leading and parenting, I hear my dad come out and I go, oof, <laughs> in all the good ways and the bad ways. It just naturally happens. Why? Because as a loved son in the family, my life became a reflection of his character traits. Now, I know what kind of world we live in. And I know that there are some of you here today who didn't have a father. Maybe he was absent or he was never around. Or maybe you had an abusive father and you didn't have a loving father. But I want you to know today that as a follower of Jesus, you have a perfect father. And he infinitely loves you more than you could ever imagine. And you don't have to perform for his love. You don't have to achieve some great things for his love. You are accepted into the family because you have been born into that family. And the only way that you can be born into that family is through the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. And because of who we are in Christ, we are now loved children in the family. But here's the thing you have to know. To be in the family, you have to have a relationship with the father. You have to be around him. You have to know what he's like. And then you will know what to imitate. Paul is teaching us here that intimacy with the father leads to imitation of the father. 
Apart from intimacy with God, there will be no imitation of God. If today you look at your life, you examine it, and you realize there's some characteristics that aren't like God that's lining up in your life, you don't need to just go, try hard, try hard, try hard. It's not a commitment problem necessarily. What it is, is it's a relationship problem. You need to pursue your father more intimately and understand who you are in Christ. And when you pursue him intimately, imitation just naturally flows out of your life. So anytime we have a message, we're not supposed to just hear it and go, wow, Nate was funny this week or not as funny or, you know, oh, that kind of tickled my brain a little bit. I get it. We're supposed to act upon everything we hear. That's true every single weekend that we gather. But today I want to leave you with two questions for you to answer for yourself. And the first one is this. Is the character of God displayed in your life in every circumstance, situation, and relationship that you have? It's the character of God shown in every area, every aspect of your life. You know who turned the world upside down? A group of Christians imitating their father. A group of Christians imitating God at the store, at the soccer field, at their jobs, at school, in the neighborhood. A group of Christians imitating God on social media, just imitating his holiness, his love, his kindness, just demonstrate constantly through our lives. Are you aiming at the right target? The target isn't about being a good Christian. The target is God. Here's the second one. Are you daily pursuing God relationally in your life? Are you spending time in God's word? Or are you starving yourself spiritually? You just show up on a Sunday and go, all right, God, where are we going to be today? Haven't talked to you all week. Are you pursuing God through his word? Are you talking to him? Are you praying to him? Or do you treat prayer like the spare tire in your car? You don't really think about it until there's an emergency. And so you go and you go, oh God, why am I going through this right now? Why am I doing this? Where are you? What's going on? And so we only talk to God when it's an emergency, when we need him. Are you intimately pursuing God every day of your life? If you are not, the enemy wins. Have you let the enemy bring disinterest and distractions into your life that have caused you to lose your identity in Christ? If, you can't, if, if the enemy can get you to not imitate the Father, then he wins. Listen to what God would speak to you this week as you reflect on those questions. You know, we started this by playing that game, Simon Says. And really... There's commands in the Bible to do what God says. And the command we see here is we are supposed to be imitators of God. So let's do what good kids do, and let's imitate our Father so that we can affect the people around us, not only in this room, but then out in our uh, city, in our communities, in our neighborhood, everywhere we go. Let's imitate the Father the best we can. Amen? Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.